Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Take out your Bibles or your phones and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Out of curiosity, did anybody read ahead this week? All right, you guys are getting better at it. You're getting better at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be for the bulk of the day. Uh, King Saul had a problem in the Old Testament. King Saul was the first king over Israel. He had a problem, though. There was a, a moment in his reign where he was tormented by evil spirits. And he, he was tormented by spirits. And so uh, he would be really troubled by these things. He'd be troubled, and he would go and try to find relief. He couldn't find relief anyway. And so some people started to suggest, hey, there's this guy named David, and he plays an instrument. And when he plays an instrument, the Spirit of God comes upon him and is, is with him and flows through him and drives out tormenting spirits. And so they say, okay, let's bring David in here. And so sure enough, they brought David in and David began to play and the Spirit of God flowed through David and drove out and, and brought peace to Saul. Is there anybody here that would like to see God come upon you in such a powerful way that he would move through you to touch the lives of other people? Is there anybody here that has that desire? I think we all have that desire for God to flow through us in a powerful, powerful way. God wants to do that. Let me give you an example out of the New Testament. Many of you guys are familiar with Acts chapter 3. Uh, these guys, some of the disciples, they're, they're going up to the uh, prayer meeting. And as they're heading to the prayer meeting, there's this guy who would sit at the gate called Beautiful. They, that was the name of the gate. And they would bring them, his friends would bring him and sit him there to beg for money every single day. This guy could not work because he was, his legs just didn't work. And so he would sit there and he would make a living by begging. Well, uh, some of our, the apostles were walking by on their way to the prayer meeting and the guy cry, cries out and he says, hey, give me some money, give me some money. And the, the disciples said, listen, uh, we don't have any money on us, but we will give you something better than money. And so they looked at him and they said, uh, lift, they took him by the right hand and they picked him up and he had strength in his legs, walking and leaping and praising God. The Bible says that he clung to them and the, the apostles, it was a great testimony. He, he became supernaturally healed. Is there anybody who would love to see God do something miraculous in your life? I mean, wouldn't that be cool to see? How many of you guys would like to see God do something like that where you could see blind eyes open or you could see some lame person walk and that God used you in some way like that? How many of you guys would like God to break through with some new supernatural occurrence through you? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? All right. I don't believe you. I believe some of you. But I don't believe all of you. And, and the reason I say that is because many people say they want God to move supernaturally in their life. But then we put God in a box. And we say we want God to move supernaturally. Man, we get all excited when we hear a Bible story about God doing something supernatural. But then when it comes practically to our own lives, talk is cheap. And I don't really believe that most people really want that, sadly. So that's what we're looking at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, uh, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, 
however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What he begins to reference here is that when they were serving false idols, the false idols and the false gods had no power. They were mute. They could not speak. And listen, what I'm trying to tell you today is that sadly, many Bible-believing, supposedly Christians, believe that God doesn't speak anymore. They don't believe that God is going to speak. They just say that God has spoke. And that the only place God speaks to us is through the word. Now, how many of you guys believe in the word of God, that it, we, can find, we can hear God's voice through the word? Absolutely. But too many believers think that that's the only place God speaks today. And ultimately, they're serving, in essence, a mute idol or a past God. God is a God in real time. So what we have here is we have... Uh, what, they, what a lot of people would call cessationists. In other words, cessationist means that they believe that there's a doctrinal position that believes that, that, that basically when God was done with writing scripture and the apostles all died out, that God just kind of stopped moving, that God stopped speaking, that God stopped moving, and God stopped the supernatural. And we put that on hold until maybe one day in heaven we'll see things again. And so that's where a lot of people end up. They, they, they've, said, they've become cessationists, and they believe that God just stopped doing stuff. Then on the other hand, you have continuous. Now, continuous believe that, and this is what we are, by the way, at Journey Church. We believe that God has been, always has been, and always will be, still is a supernatural God that actually is moving and speaking and working in real time today. That there, he didn't stop. He didn't put the mute button on and say, I'll, I'll see you later and I'll talk to you later someday. He's still moving supernaturally today. That's what we believe here. And he's interacting in real time with his people. Now, I don't know, is there anybody here that still believes that God is still an active God? Anybody? All right, I'm just checking. You know, all right, half the crowd. I'll take that. Um, the rest of you guys will have to work that out with God. Um, you're free to disagree, but you're free to be wrong, too. So, um, Listen, here's what I always ask when I come to this topic of spiritual gifts. Where is the expiration date in Scripture for spiritual gifts? And you will not find an expiration date. We have the gospel commission, the great commission, go into all the world and preach the good news to, every, to, to make disciples. How many of you guys believe we should still do that today? Right? Why do we believe we should still do that? That was written in a book, and that book was done, right? It's, it's, that was to that group of people. No, we do it because we're also disciples, and we were never told to stop. So when we come to the gifts of the Spirit and God's supernaturally moving in our lives, we hunger for that. We desire that. Why? Because we were never told to stop desiring supernatural things. And so we desire supernatural things. Now, if you look back to the Apostles' Day... They didn't have all that we have. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have the lights. They didn't have the, the sound systems and instruments. They didn't have Facebook and, and videos and YouTube to spread the good news. They didn't have podcasts. But what they did have was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was better than all those things. The Holy Spirit accomplished more with uh, 12 people and 120 people yielded to the Spirit of God, open to God, supernaturally moving, that it was enough to change the world, the Bible says. And they turned the world upside down. And yet today we rely on, on all of these practical things. They're all, they're fine, 
But I just want you to know that the, what the apostles had is they had a supernatural God. And so I want to challenge you today. Today's going to be a little bit weird for some of you guys. So that's all right. I, I'm going to challenge you. And I, I just want to challenge you this way. You may have a doctrinal belief about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but do you have a biblical belief about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit? And if you just strip it all away and you look back to say, what does the Bible actually say? And what are we expected to hunger for and desire? You see, if you just have a doctrinal belief, but you don't have a biblical belief, then I believe you are hindered and that keeps you from real empowerment. This empowerment that was talked about in Acts chapter 1. The empowerment that was talked about in Acts chapter 2. These are the things that God wants us to experience today. And sadly, I believe a lot of us aren't going after that. Uh, years ago now, I was remodeling my bathroom. Well, you guys know how it starts. I, I found this loose tile in my bathtub, and I touched it, and it fell off. I was like, crud, i got to glue that back on. And then I realized that there's mold behind there. I was like, oh, great, i got to tear this panel off. I tore this panel off, and then I realized, oh, it's going throughout. And I tore all the walls out. And then eventually, I tore the floor out because I thought, well, maybe water's here on the floor. Eventually, I had to rip the sink out. Now, before I got to all of this, though, there was a situation uh, that, that had occurred for many months. Uh, and I'm just going to be real. See, sometimes God, I think, allows things to happen to me as sermon illustrations for your benefit. <clears throat> and Ezekiel had visions, and these are kind of the visions that I see when I see some things that happen. And so uh, I had a toilet that was, that was not working right. How many of you guys have ever had a toilet? All right, just making sure we're all common ground here. Okay. And well, this thing was not working right for a long time. And so I went and I bought a plunger. Then I went and I bought an industrial plunger. And then I, brought, I bought a plunger that could like, you like cranked this thing. Like it was like some sort of machine and it, and it didn't work. It was only half working. And it's really awkward when you have guests over and you've got a, a toilet that's not working right, you know, and it would only flush like halfway down. And, and so it was really awkward. And uh, I'm just burying my life to you guys right now. So finally, I hired a, a professional plumber to come in and roto-rooter the thing. They roto-rooter the thing, and finally it worked for an hour, and it, and it messed up again. And I'm like, what is going on? And then we dealt with this for months. So finally, I get into this bathroom remodel, and finally, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to replace the toilet. I'm just going to yank it out, and I'm just going to start fresh. And so I took off the toilet, and I carried it through the house. Now, if you've never carried a toilet before, it's actually pretty, pretty heavy, okay? And so I carry this thing outside, and I set it down, and I lay it down, and I look in the bottom of the toilet, because I'm thinking, what, what's hindering what's going on? And I look in there, and there is a Superman action figure <laughs> flying out the bottom of it like this, and he could not get out because his red cape was keeping him from getting out. And this was in there for months. Now, now, my daughter, Lindsay, at the time, she was really into Superman. She was watching Superman cartoons. She'd, wear, she'd want me to fly her around like Superman until one day it stopped. Mysteriously, about the same time that the toilet got clogged up. And I asked her, I was like, Lindsay, did you? Mm-hmm. And, and Superman had been there flying in the wrong direction, trying to get out for months. Listen. Even if he would have made it through, it would have been bad, right? Even if he had made it. So that's the vision I get of the church. <laughs> Work with me, people. Stuck, flying in the wrong direction. 
And even if you make it where you think you want to go, it's not a good place. You see, the, the, before the cross, before Acts chapter 2, all of the believing world, or the Christians we could call them pre-cross, they all looked forward in time to a greater time of greater empowerment when the Holy Spirit would come. Sadly, I believe that today's modern church looks back in time at a time where there used to be empowerment. And what I'm saying today is that is not what the scripture teaches us to do. And many of, maybe you look at your life right now, and when it comes to this topic of being empowered by the Spirit of God, operating in a move of the Spirit of God, the supernatural flowing through you, are you flying in the wrong direction? Because God wants us to desire some things. All right, so uh, what should be the norm for today's church? Should it be a church that is without supernatural activity or a church with supernatural activity? I believe if we want to be a church, like the church in the book of Acts, like the church we were commanded to, the church that we were left with, the church that Jesus is building, the exception should be a church without the supernatural happening rather than with. Since you guys were all with me on that, um, let me give you the belief statement of our church that's actually on our website, just in case you missed it when you showed up. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? <laughs> the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling Christians are enabled to live godly lives full of power. What would that look like? Let, let me give you another one that's actually on our website. It's on our belief statement. We believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to look at here in just a second, are available and in operation in the body of Christ today. That's who we are. We're continuous. We're not cessationists. We believe that God is still speaking, moving, supernaturally active among his people, and that's what we want to see God do. So let's look at these gifts of the Spirit. Let's look at them in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit an utterance of wisdom, and to another an utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, tongue, or the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To the, another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That word manifestation there is phenerosis, which it means to visibly appear. It means to break through. It means to open. What it, it literally means is the supernatural, the Spirit of God breaking into our natural. That's what a manifestation, it's just simply an opening. Now remember, I believe so many of us have put this into a box. And what, what scripture's teaching us is that if we want to live by the Spirit, what's going to happen is the box is going to open. Now here's the problem. Most of us have this on the box. Fragile. Handle with care. And we keep the box closed. That's not what we're instructed to do. So... Don't put God in a box. 
What would it look like if we let God out of the box? According to this scripture, this passage right here. So what I want to do is I want to list and walk through these particular gifts, these nine gifts. And I want to give you a sample or an example of what it might look like or what, how it has happened in people that maybe you know or people in our church or people that we know of to just whet your appetite a little bit more to say, God, what would it look like if you opened the box in my life? What would it look like if you opened the box? So let's look at this. We're going to uh, categorize these in three different categories. Robert Morris does this for us, so I'm just borrowing that. And then I've kind of worked with some of the definitions to uh, put different spins on them to to help us out. Uh, Discerning gifts are the first three. The word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and the word of wisdom. So word of knowledge. Here's the definition for word of knowledge or a definition. There's not any one. Uh, this is just a way to help us grasp this. It's when the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit allowing you to know something specific that you did not learn by natural means. In other words, the Holy Spirit just drops a piece of information in you that you did not know in any other way. You couldn't have known it. And so sometimes we get turned off by that because we've heard of these, you know, phony TV preachers or evangelists who, you know, have an earpiece in their, thing, in their ear and they, you know, calling out different things that are going on. And so we get turned off by that. But that doesn't take away from the actual legitimate working of these gifts in our lives or in Scripture. And so we had, how many of you guys remember Robert, the missionary, a couple of weeks ago? We had him up here, and he told the story about how he was preaching, and all of a sudden, he just saw a vision. And I believe it can work in all sorts of containers. He saw a vision of kidneys uh, and, and this liquid going into these kidneys and healing these kidneys, and so he called that out. That was what I believe is an example of a word of knowledge where he knew something he couldn't have known any other way. Later on that afternoon, Sunday afternoon, we had a small gathering of just ministry leaders and prayer team gatherers, and he was uh, teaching us. And the same thing, like in real time, in that moment, back in the Journey Kids room, he said, I, I, I see something. He began to call it out specifically, and it was so specific, and there was no way he could have known that. And, I mean, there was no way. And so God was downloading a real-time word of some piece of information he didn't have any other way. Wouldn't that be cool if God could do that? Maybe to drop something like that for your neighbor at just the right time when they needed it. And you knew right now they need this piece of it. You knew right now God wants to use me to minister to them. The Holy Spirit wants to partner with you and I in such a way. All right, let's look at the next one. Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits, I kind of define it this way. The ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or of demonic spirits in a person or situation. So I, I think it's... it's It's when you walk into a situation and you can discern the Spirit of God in you, the Holy Spirit lets you know what's going on in the atmosphere, lets you know what's going on in that person, lets you know what's happening. Now, let me give you a weird weird case of this, okay? So if I haven't weirded you out yet, let's do it now. Um, In my life, here's one example where I believe this has happened for me, and I could tell you several. Uh, several months ago, somebody came to our church and they were very, very excited, enthusiastic, wanting to be involved, all sorts of, I mean, they're just, I mean, I'm all in sort of thing. And on the surface, everything they said was right. Everything, all of, they seemed to line up exactly. The enthusiasm was there. All this stuff was just right on. So I went to have coffee with this person. And as I'm having coffee with them, how many of you guys have ever seen the Men in Black movie? Anybody a long time ago? Do you remember that scene where like the alien, like all of a sudden the guy's eyes do this, like they're like gills or something like that. And they just shift as he's looking at them. All of a sudden I saw that happen. It wasn't in the natural. 
I believe it was the spirit realm overlaid the supernatural. And just for a second, I saw that. And what God spoke to me is he said, he said this, he said that what he's presenting is not who he is. I haven't seen him since. Listen, that's a, that's a case where dropped in my spirit, something is not right as it appears on the surface here. And my spirit, the spirit of God spoke to my spirit about what was happening in the supernatural realm. Now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Because it was a warning from the Holy Spirit for me that everything looks great on the surface, but something else is happening underneath. All right, word of wisdom, a divine answer or solution for a particular question or challenge. Last fall, we were dealing with some pretty sensitive issues here uh, behind the scenes at the church I can't, can't talk to, but they were just, we're wrestling with some situations and uh, just didn't know what to do in this particular situation. And almost, I mean, I believe God gave me a word of wisdom, exactly what to do, and it was almost like this. Here's how I describe it. It's like I thought about it before I thought about it. It was like all of a sudden, boom, I had the solution and we acted on it in faith and it was the right decision, cleared up everything. Word of wisdom, right then, right there. Now there's other examples of that. I'm just giving you an example uh, in my life. All right, so let's move on to the declarative gifts. Again, I'm just giving you some samples to kind of whet your appetite to say, God, what would it look like if you moved like this in my life? Declarative gifts. Number one, prophecy. Uh, Prophecy, a message of encouragement from God delivered through a person to a person or a group of people. Uh, Another guy puts it this way, speaking out something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Another way, we'll look at this in chapter 14, so I'm not going to go too far into this, into the specifics. Uh, I don't believe it's as much about predicting things, even though I believe God can use that. And let me give you an example about how I believe that it has been used in that that way before. And then we'll talk about other things in week 14. Um, Football. Any football fans? Got any football fans? We're heading into the football. How many of you guys watched the game last night? Anybody? The Chiefs game? There was a Chiefs game. I'm not talking about baseball. Chiefs game. All right. Uh, Super Bowl 2008. Do you guys remember this? 2008. In 2007, the New England Patriots went on a historic run. They went undefeated through the regular season. They went, obviously, undefeated, clear through the playoffs, and they made it to the Super Bowl. And it's like they were just destined to be the team that was going to make it all the way, complete undefeated season, to be able to uproot the Dolphins and whoever, you know, all those guys who always, you know, uh, smoke a cigar, break a beer open after the, the team loses who's undefeated. I mean, these guys looked like they were going to do it. They were unstoppable. And so there they are in the Super Bowl. They were leading in the Super Bowl. They just went down and they scored a touchdown. Now there's like a minute 15, a minute 16 seconds left. Eli Manning and the Giants are on their 44-yard line. It just seemed like the cards were stacked against them, that destiny was on the side of the New England Patriots. And so there they are, historic run. Uh, Eli Manning it almost gets tackled, almost gets uh, sacked, and he evades it. It's, it's a, he runs around for a little bit, and then he throws this pass. It was like this miracle pass to David Tyree. David Tyree jumps up, catches the ball on his helmet, falls down. Does anybody remember this? It's one of the, the greatest plays of all time. And, and so he, he goes up. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. Now, they went on, the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl. A stunner, shocker. They, they upended everything. And, and it all came at this hinge point on this one play with David Tyree. Now, here's the interesting thing about David Tyree. 
David Tyree wasn't like one of the star players at all. He really wasn't. And so I've got a clip to show you in just a couple minutes to give you just a taste of what happened. Let's go ahead and roll it. The Tyree catch has got to be number one because we've now been through 100 years of the NFL and there's never, ever, 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 ever been a catch where a guy sandwiched it to his helmet. Never happened. Probably will never happen again. I remember watching that play unfold on the field, and you thought a million times this, the play was over. You, you know, there were four or five points in time. You're like, okay, it's over here, it's over here, and then it just—it was the longest play ever. That's a great catch by David Tyree. There's the snap. There's the in the grasp. There's the great escape. Stays on his feet. There's the balloon throw. Airs it out down the field. There's the catch. Look, the most remarkable thing about the Tyree catch wasn't pinning it to his helmet. It was keeping it pinned when he hit the ground. Pressing it against his helmet as he goes to the ground and not dropping it. He hits the ground, and that ball has, by every right, should have gone squirting out. David Tyree went up and somehow was able to make the catch. It's Shakespearean. You pin a ball to your helmet, and it comes within three centimeters of hitting the ground. That's the greatest catch of all time. Oh, and it decides the Super Bowl? Yeah, it's the greatest catch. David Tyree is one of those guys who you're like, who? David Tyree just made the biggest catch of his life. That's the only thing that we could ever possibly remember him for. He doesn't have a lifetime of stats, very much a no-name receiver. When David Tyree makes that catch, I turn to my brother and I say, I guarantee you, David Tyree will never play in another football game again. David Tyree did play in another game, but he would never make another catch in his NFL career. I think it endears people uh, to calling that number one because it wasn't Randy Moss. It wasn't Jerry Rice. It was a guy who was nervous to make the team every year. David Tyree can walk to the rest of his life knowing that on that one day, at that one moment in time, he did something that is immortal. That right there is the ultimate mic drop. All right, so what's so important about that? Uh, the editor, Adrian Hasenmeyer, called the play an insult to physics and Albert Einstein. Frank Tarkenton said the play defied logic, history, gravity, and just about anything else you care to mention. What's interesting about that is that months earlier, that was prophesied that it would happen. You say, R really? Again, David Tyree. That whole season leading up to this moment, he only had four catches for a total of 69 yards. He was not the guy. And so he was not expected to be a star player or a catalyst player in the Super Bowl at all. There was no reason to even think that they were going to get to the Super Bowl because they were struggling all year long. And yet months and months before that, uh, there was an accountant who happened to work on the taxes of David Tyree. He was a spirit-filled accountant. And as he was working on his, his taxes and working on his numbers, he just kept getting this, this sense over and over again. I've got a, I've got a, word, for a, a word for David Tyree. Now, again, David Tyree, 
is nervous about making the team. He's, he's, not, he's not a star player at all. Finally, he gets up the courage and he says, listen, I, I know this may be crossing some lines or something like that, but I'm a spirit-filled believer and, and, and I just want you to know, I believe that God is telling me that you are going to make a spectacular play in the Super Bowl that will change the outcome of the game. Months before. Now you could do that with that what you want to do with that. Does God care who wins the Super Bowl? No, I don't think God cares. Contrary to what some of you believe, I don't think God cares so much about that. But I do believe that God is interested in showing himself strong through his people. And I do believe there are times when God will do things just to show off and have a little fun. And I, I don't believe that's the primary that way that gift functions. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but I thought I'd just throw that out there to say God is still moving and speaking in real time in unique ways if we're open to it. All right, uh, number two, or uh, number two under this area, various kinds of tongues. So, uh, tongues or prayer language, we might call it, speaking in a language that's unknown to you for the purpose of glorifying, praising, or praying to God. There are different types of this. Again, we'll talk about this in chapter 14. I believe the reason it says various types here is because there are various types. There are private uh, prayer language, and then there's a public tongue that you've heard about where you speak in either a heavenly language or maybe even a language that you do not know, but other people, it's an actually earthly language. This is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. The, the disciples, they began to pray out in a language they didn't know. But it was a known language to people all around them, and they were hearing their own languages, even though the disciples didn't know how to speak that. God supernaturally empowered them with the ability to speak something out they didn't have knowledge of for the purpose of praising and glorifying God, and many people got saved because of it. One of our ministry leaders uh, had this happen. They said that they were in a home and praying and singing along with about 20 other believers, and they clearly heard their friend beside them talk, just praying out and praising the Lord in fluent Latin and they didn't know how to speak it. Missionaries, you'll hear stories all the time of missionaries in other countries where they go in and God gives them this supernatural ability. Now, we'll talk about this more in 14, chapter 14, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time about it here. Interpretation of tongues, it's understanding and expressing the thought or intent of a message in an unknown language. So it's where God gives you what that language is, even though you don't understand the language. So it's almost the reverse of that, and God wants to do something special in that. Let me give you an example of one of our ministry leaders, just a, a sample. They were in their kitchen a few years ago, and all of a sudden just felt like God was moving on their heart just to stop and sitting out, hanging out with their family. And they just, they just said, I, I've just got to stop. And all of a sudden, they just felt the urge to speak out in tongues, into a, their prayer language. They began to speak that out. And almost simultaneously, God gave them the interpretation themselves. And sometimes God will do that in a unique way. And they felt that the impression was, the, that the, the interpretation was, that they were supposed to pray for people in northern Africa. They didn't know why. They didn't know anybody in northern Africa. The next day was the first time that we had Jacob and Teresa Lears in our church. And they didn't know that they were coming. And where are they at? Northern Africa. Why did God do that? Just, I think he did it for fun. And because he knew that they needed prayer and God wanted to direct somebody to pray for him. And he did it in a unique way. So God does that. All right, the dynamic gifts, the gift of faith. We see this, a supernatural endowment or belief or a confidence for a specific situation. Just a faith deposit on the inside of you. 
years ago, I've shared this story, but years ago, I was, I was very sick. I had all kinds of issues going on. This is before we started the church. They were, I was on 23 pills a day at one point. They were doing every single test to try to figure out what was wrong with me, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. A lot of dige- digestive issues. They said, you're going to be taking this, pi- this pill for the rest of your life. You won't be able to eat spicy food or tomatoes and all kinds of, they had a whole list of everything. And so I went to the specialists of specialists, and they couldn't come up with any answers. It sounds like a Bible story, doesn't it? That you went to every doctor, and they had no answers. And so I went away from that pretty discouraged. But one day, a few weeks later, this is the only way I can describe it. This is either, and it doesn't really matter to me whether this is a gift of healing or a gift of faith. I feel like it was more of a gift of faith simply to have confidence in God. And all of a sudden, it just dropped in my spirit, this gift of faith to believe that I was healed. And from that day on, I've been healed. In fact, yeah, I don't take any pills or anything like that. In fact, we just got through uh, canning 50 quarts of the spiciest salsa that you will ever put in your mouth this year. And I, I literally, I'll eat spicy food all the time. And people will say, man, that is so hot. Why do you eat such spicy food? And I literally say, it's one of my ways that I praise and glorify God. Because he healed me. Because of that gift of faith that was dropped in me. There's another guy who used to be a pastor uh, to us, and uh, he just had a gift of faith. In fact, God gave him a word, preach faith and your church will grow. He did, and it did. But while, he, while the church was about 1,000 people, it, this guy just had a gift of faith to believe God for big things that other people just couldn't. While they had like 1,000 people, he built a 2,500-seat auditorium and filled it up on a few services. I mean, just a gift of faith. Amazing what God can do. Healing, let's move to healing. Supernatural application of divine health. Uh, last week, again, we, we saw that uh, a couple weeks ago, Robert and his, you know, he told all of his stories. Well, we went back into the Journey Kids room during that afternoon. I'd been having a lot of problems with my neck, and he had some people come up and pray for me, and they laid hands on me. And I tell you what, I felt waves of warmth flow through my neck. Waves of warmth. And the first time they prayed, it was like 50% better. The, the second time, it was like 99% better. By the end of the day, it was 100%. It was completely, I just felt the waves of warmth. Now, I don't know whether that's, I mean, every believer is, can pray for the sick. Every single one of us can. But I believe there's also these special times and ways that God just deposits these gifts to, and gives us these gifts. In us. So healing, miracles, divine intervention that alters circumstances. I believe this is something other than healing, or why would it list them both? You know, so there could be crazy things, crazy provision, crazy miraculous events. You read about it all through scripture, you hear about all, all through uh, just, you hear about it in other countries, raising from the dead, uh, all sorts of things that can fall into this category. Divine protection, I've had that happen before too. Don't have time to tell the stories, we're running out of time. Let me skip to the end of the chapter. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. I wish you had time to preach on all of that. The point to me is that there are gifts that are listed there in the first part of the chapter, and these here at the latter part of the chapter. My, one of my personal feelings on it, and you can wrestle with this however you want to, but my personal feeling is that there are public 
gifts and private gifts, and we can operate, and some of these that are being described here are more public, like in a church service and so on and so forth. The, the point is this. Don't put God in a box. And so many of us have closed up the box. If you just say, God, I want to be led by your spirit. God, what might you do through me if I would just opened up the box just a little bit? God is not interested. Some of you guys are worried. You're saying, man, Sean, you're pretty weird. I don't want to be you. Uh, God is not interested in turning you into somebody you're not supposed to be, but he is interested in doing something through you that you cannot do it by yourself. He wants to give you power beyond your own natural strength. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit opens the door for the gifts of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in chapter 14. Here's what I want you to get today. Is there anybody here who ever feels, does it even seem right that God would want his people to be a powerless people? No. God wants to fill us with power beyond our ability, and it's time for us to open up the box. When I was a teenager, I just opened up the box to God. I said, God, whatever you want to do. Let me give you another story that some of you guys will freak out over, and that's fine. Um, I came up at the end of a service when I was just 15 years old, and there was a revival meeting, a worship time, an altar call time, and I was just praising God and saying, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be led by your spirit. Somebody came, and they laid their hands on me, and instantly when they laid their hands on me, it's like I felt the power of God in that moment. I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't anticipating it. And all of a sudden, I just fell straight to the ground. I felt like I was a brick wall that just crumbled upon itself. And I laid there in awe of just, I've just barely touched the surface of how powerful God is. And I said, God, I want more. God, I want more. We just went to youth camp a couple weeks ago, and I saw 40 or 50 of our teenagers in this church crying out to God for hours, on their face on the floor, getting filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, just going after God. Listen, our young people are outpacing us because you got it all figured out, and you put God in a box. God wants to do something in us that we can't do in ourselves. Luke chapter 11, verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a, of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give what? The gift of the Holy Spirit to you who ask. But what good is a gift if you never open it? What good is having access to the power of God in your life if you keep it contained because it's too fragile for you? What good is a gift? A gift is useless unless it's open. I remember as a kid, you know, how many guys remember as a kid at Christmas time, you got the gifts and you're just, you're just anticipating for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and you just can't wait and you're ripping little holes in it to try to see when mom and dad aren't looking, at least maybe we did. Uh, I know some Christians like that. Waiting, 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 someday in glory, someday in heaven. Here's the question I have for you. Are we waiting for him to give? Or is he waiting for us to receive? He's waiting for us to receive. 
Because he's already done everything he's going to do. He's given the Holy Spirit. He's given these gifts. Salvation in the Christian life is less like kids waiting for Christmas to happen and more like Christmas has already happened and the gifts are still unopened at the tree. The cross is the tree. The gifts were there. And instead of us looking for it, no, too many people have left the gifts. It's not waiting for Christmas. Christmas has happened. The gifts have been given, and we've left them unopened. Man, that's good preaching, Sean. That's good. I had to encourage myself. No one else was doing it. Is there anybody here that wants God to do a greater work in you? If he's going to do a greater work in you, we ought to expect that to overflow out of us. God is a supernatural God. If you put supernatural in, supernatural will come out. If you're following after not a mute idol. If you're following after the living God. You say, well, if I were God, I would do it different. If I were God, I wouldn't have that weird stuff happen. If I were God, I wouldn't have people talking in unknown languages and seeing weird things. And and if I were God, then I would have, uh, you know, just left that prayer language thing off because that's bad for PR. Well, thank God that you're not God. Because anybody who gets the idea, well, I know better than God, they end up with, like, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who, yeah, let's mix religion and politics again. Uh, Thomas Jefferson... Who took, who famously now in the Smithsonian Institution has what's called the Jeffersonian Bible, where he went through and he edited his own version of the Bible called, I believe it's called The Life and Morals of Jesus, where he cut out every single part and mention of the supernatural throughout all the Gospels in the Bible, and every single mention of the resurrection, and made Jesus all about morals instead of power. Is that what you've done? Is that what we've done? Because that is not the God of the Bible. Enlightenment in the Western world, the last couple hundred years, we've, got, we've become so enlightened where science has become our religion, where whatever we taste, smell, touch, can measure, that becomes what is real. Listen, we are the first generation, we are the first group of people, our culture, Western culture, is the first culture out of all of human history that doesn't embrace in some form the supernatural. And our culture is the only culture on the planet right now that's not experiencing massive revival. You see it all throughout the continent of South Africa, or of Africa, South America. You can see it happening in China. You can see it happening in all these places. But yet we've got God figured out, don't we? He's all safe and secure right here. We've got him figured out. And we're living without power, power but we have great morals, supposedly. I'm glad that God isn't like me because he can do greater things than I could ever ask or even think. God will think of things I can't think of. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work, not outside of us, but where? Within us. What does that mean? That means that God's power is working in us, which works through us. It seems to me, let me just close with this thought, have the worship team come back up. It seems to me that God, the people that God uses most often are the people with the fewest assumptions about what he can and can't do. 
Moses didn't assume that God could part, couldn't part the water. He just did it. He just held out a staff. Uh, David didn't think twice about the giant. He just believed that if God is with me, then who's, who's against me? It doesn't really matter. Peter didn't assume that he couldn't walk on water. He just stepped out and he tried. The Gentiles didn't assume that God wouldn't save them. They just cried out to Jesus. They just cried out to the living God. The disciples in Acts 19 didn't assume that spirit baptism was just for the day of Pentecost. They just said, here I am. Let me receive. And the question I have for you today is, what are you assuming about God? Do you, do you have to keep him in the box? And all I want to accomplish today is to get you just a little bit more hungry for what it might look like if God, the supernatural living God in real time, if you simply received a little bit more of him and you said, God, I'm opening the box. It might be a little bit different. But what what might happen if I just opened a box? I believe what would happen is we'd live lives full of more power. We'd live more led by the Spirit. We'd have more joy. We'd have more freedom. We'd get excited about serving God again. The adventure would come back. That first love would all of a sudden just spark up in you again. Because living the Christian life was never intended to be boring. It was always intended to be an adventure. And if that's not the way it is for you, you're doing it wrong. Tonight, this morning, just open up the box a little bit more. Would you guys stand up with me as we close? Lord, we thank you so much. We're thankful for the giver of the gifts. We're thankful for the ultimate gift, which is Jesus. We thank you for the gift that you did for us on the cross that that you laid down your life, you've paid the price for all of our sins, you wiped the record clean, you cleaned up the slate, you gave us access, you tore down the wall between us and you, and you, you opened up that way for us to follow you. Lord, we're so thankful for that, for the freedom that we have in you. Lord, I just declare over these people, over our church, we believe in the supernatural God in real time, and Lord, we expect the miraculous wherever we go because we're carriers of your presence. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.